Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing and eating fish. So it's always interesting, usually funny and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. And I've got a co-host tonight. It's Amy, the Pond Lady. And uh, Clay, thank you very much for having me co-host today. This is I'm awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because I've known you on the internet for a long time. Uh, we've never gotten one-on-one on a Zoom together. so That's right. That's kind of nice. That's right. Uh, it is nice. It's, it's exciting. You're in Oklahoma. I am. And um, I, I'm actually sequestering myself away from the rest of, of, of my clan that is now uh, glued to the election news. So I'm glad to be with you instead of doing that right now. Was, so was there an election? Awesome. I didn't even, I hadn't noticed. Today on the podcast, we're super excited because uh, we're going to talk about ponds a little bit because we've got the pond lady here, but mostly we're going to talk about other stuff because we're going to borrow her expertise and see how her expertise can translate into other fisheries worlds. So today in the podcast, we're going to talk about groupers, giant groupers, to be exact. I was listening to a podcast the other day called The Twisted Ten, uh, and they were talking about giant groupers, and they mentioned the fish nerds in their podcast, so I have oh. to respond to that. Uh, we have our second installment of Lure Love. So John King, the crappy hippie, and Tim Beat got together and put together a very special edition of Lure Love, all about the spoon. We're going to do some fish in the news. And Doc Martin uh, was inspired by the big hit song, WAP. You know the song, WAP, WAP, WAP. (laughs) And she did a little tribute to that. We're going to play that at the end of the show. And I should say, if you've got children around tonight, this is not a kid-friendly episode of The Fish Nerds. So uh, they are not allowed to listen to this show. Uh, Tell them to go away. Am I allowed? You can listen, sure. Okay. I think you're an adult. But uh, (laughs) if you're a kid or if you have sensitive ears and don't like bad language, uh, this is not the episode for you because Amy gets dirty tonight, and we can't wait to hear. <laughs> wait, me get dirty or Doc Martin gets dirty? <laughs> We're all going to get both of us are getting dirty. It'll be a good night on the Fish Nerds podcast. So, first of all, um, Amy, before we get too far, and you are a our pond specialist, you are a correspondent here in the Fish Nerds. Can you tell us just very quickly what is a pond lady? Two sentences. What do you do? I take care of private ponds and lakes for private landowners that don't know how to take care of their private pond or lake. And Perfect. Now, you're in Oklahoma, and are private lakes like a normal thing? I've never heard of a private lake before. In New Hampshire, we have so much public water that private water isn't really a thing. Oh, uh, well, okay. I, here's, a, here's a couple of stats. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more shoreline in Oklahoma than any state in the nation because of how many ponds we have. And how many reservoirs we have. And most of it is man-made water. There's almost no uh, natural lakes or uh, ponds. If they are, then they're either depressional-type ponds or oxbow lakes, basically. The the channel cutoffs from rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, they're mostly man-made. And uh, because of the amount of water we have then there is just so much potential um, that you can have a pond on your property that's a koi pond, um, or you could have a pond on your property that's bigger than some of our actual public 
lakes that are managed by the state. Right. So Oklahoma, up, for those who don't know, is, is really big. And there's a lot of room for ponds. <laughs> there's a lot of room for ponds. And we, uh, so the, the, they, the statistic is that we have over 300,000 ponds that are at least an acre and a half in size. And this is a statistic from a while back. So it's grown a lot because there are always more ponds being built. But it's kind of up for debate what a lake in Oklahoma is in terms of pond versus lake, if that makes sense. Because well, there's no official definition There's, of a pond or a lake or a river or a stream they're all the same things well, rivers and depending, streams lakes, but yeah well yeah depending on who you ask in oklahoma something might be a lake or it might be a pond and so for me i like to say you know about 10 acres is the cutoff for what i would really call a lake in oklahoma sure. which is way different than i would say some other places in the nation a lake is usually much bigger in size but there are some places that have neighborhood ponds that are way smaller and they call them lakes still. So it just depends on who you talk to. Because when I talk to my friends in England, I refer them, them to being as being across the pond. <laughs> well, true that. And so we, it's all relative. True. Well, that's, that's cool. True. Well, thank you, Pond Lady. And so we're going to get right into our topics tonight, though. So I want, we have so much to do. And so I know. I know. So we're going to jump into, I think let's talk about groupers first. And uh, before we get into the discussion on groupers, I want the listeners to hear a clip I pulled from the Twisted 10 podcast. So I'm going to play that for you now. It's about eight minutes long. It's full of bad language and colorful people. Um, you're going to love it. And then we're going to uh, talk about groupers because they called us out. This is the fish nerds can talk about groupers. So here it is. Um, let's see if you can even come close. <laughs> Subtle, and I hope it translates to the folks listening back. Dude, I'm gonna crank it up a little bit louder okay. on the mixer. Dude, what, you what we're it? looking for? It's it's one sound. Yeah, it's a, it's on a loop, right? Like you just play it, it three times. Yeah. Okay. Oh, who's that? Yeah. Uh, okay, like, I know what it is. Hundred percent. I I think. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you want to take a stab at it first, Rob? Nope. I have no idea. <laughs> this is. <laughs> And again, forgive, I don't know the family, genus, species, all that shit on this one. However, it is a a very deadly, um, f- breaking the speed of sound fast, shrimp attack. Great guess. Pistol shrimp is what pistol you're- Pistol shrimp, yeah, thank you. And, uh, it is not a pistol shrimp, though. Damn it. Um, so this- me. <laughs> Ron, what are you making the look of it? How do you even know what that is? I mean, I'm Dude. impressed with what your knowledge is just amazing. Yeah, on I, get, I get into some fucking black holes on the internet and I find some really strange shit. By the way, uh, remind so, me later. I'll talk to you about some conspiracy theories here. <laughs> yeah. So, that's, so this is the Goliath grouper. It is oh. a massive, massive. Dude, those things grow big. Hundreds of pounds. 400 pounds is a Goliath grouper at full size. I once caught one with my Mickey Mouse uh, <laughs> fishing pole. Fishing pole. <laughs> uh, but the the um, that little sound, that little bass hit that you heard is it's actually a mating call for the grouper. It's to attract mates, and it is not only an audio cue. It's a it's actually they well, a pressure wave. It's yeah they use part of their. Um, I, I couldn't pronounce the proper name for the organ, but it's attached to their bladder in some way. That's the penis. 
Oh, <laughs> oh! I need to get the base hit upgrade on my deck. <laughs> um, Put a little twelve-inch sub on there. Yeah, yeah, that's you what go. you need. But it's a uh, it's so they can actually uh, feel it in the water. It's actually and um, I know that obviously it's it's a video that doesn't work, but you can see the fish like this just cavity just collapses in its body to make that base hit. It's actually it's visual. You can see it, you can hear it, and you can feel it from a good distance away. Interesting. You know, so in that case, the sound so sound and pressure in this case are almost the same thing. So they both travel at the same speed underwater, which the speed of sound has changed underwater. The interesting thing about that is water doesn't compress. Air compresses, for example. That's why a uh, a sonic boom from a shuttle land from a rocket landing, for example, will dissipate over over space. Water compresses very, very little. So when that grouper makes that big old flood and that sound pressure and wave goes, that could go for miles, not just, you know, a little little distance that could travel a long fucking way. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's fluid dynamics 101 right there, baby. That's it, awesome. It amazes me that you can remember that. But can't, <laughs> can't remember for 14 years that I worked Friday nights in retail and would call me, hey, dude, want to hang? Yeah. For like 14 true. years. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But you can remember that. That's yeah. cool. And that's know? that's actually interesting. That I mean, might be something wrong with me. Right? I have nothing to add to any of this but <laughs> stupid shit. That's just how this that's is going to okay. go. That's I don't okay. know anything so, about so, animals. So just to recap, you... score zero, zero, Ron. You're not, don't worry. You're okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll just give you a few facts about the grouper that I thought were interesting. So the grouper, even at its size, um, the oldest, uh, the average age that it is believed grouper live in the wild is 37 years. Is an old ass fish. That is an um, old fish. They and they know that because on their their dorsal fin rays, they grow rings on an annual basis. You ah, can just tell like the, a tree. Just like a tree. You can tell the age of a grouper by how many rings they have. What? That's tree? They do that? No, I'm just kidding. Just that, that's that's one of the few things I you know. <laughs> if I wish you would listen to the live Discord, but uh, you know who I would love to hear a commentary about that particular fish from? Mr. Clay Groves. Clay and Groves. yes, Plug Bell is deserved on this for the Fish Nerds podcast. I, he was going to return for guest hosting an episode of the Twisted Ten. I don't fish at all or give a shit about fishing. I do listen to that podcast just because he's interesting. He's funny as hell, He's dude. funny, even yeah. though I don't do anything with it, fishing. And the last fact about groupers that I have is that they have a mouthful of teeth and they don't chew their food. They actually prefer to swallow their prey whole. Then what are the teeth for? Picking up the ladies? <laughs> yes. Look how big his teeth is. Keeping, have you they ever have seen like human-looking teeth too? Don't they? they? Do. Don't they have flat these flat no, teeth? They're, they're not. They're sharp. They're sharp. Oh, okay. Um, have you ever seen a tortoise's teeth? Look it up. It's nightmare. It's nightmare teeth It's awful. Oh, does it go all the way down their throat? It is. There's there's like spikes, um, and they have them in their entire mouth, and they're all pointed backwards. Their mouth and down their throat. Oh, and so, what it is? It's a mechanism. So when they swallow a bunch of water. With a bunch of food in it. Oh, they can throw it all Then out. they throw it back up, and that purges all the water, and it keeps all the food in. That's that's brilliant. That also makes me think of that thing in Star Wars in the desert that they fall into. The big... The Sorlac? What is it called? Sorlac, that's right. Sorlac. The huts um, run that run. The um, huts. Jabba. You know. Which, Jabba, you know, yeah. just a little global PSA, <laughs> that same mechanism for turtles also traps your fucking garbage. So... Throw away your call. shit and recycle. Jeez, he's up over there, Greenpeace. It's, it's killing tortoises out there. <laughs> can, can I quickly, because you were talking about old fish. Mm-hmm. So what's the oldest, oldest anything? Animal, fish, <laughs> whale, oldest. Ooh, in, I want to take a stab at this. Yes, I think mushroom. Well, that was super fun. What would you think about that segment? 
Oh, I loved it. That's awesome. You, that is I, awesome. Now, they I can't t- believe it. This, okay, <laughs> this is opening up worlds for the fish nerds right here. Whole new world here. So what they were talking about in that segment, if you were listening closely, that whole episode was uh, the top 10 weirdest animal sounds. And the animal, the animal sound they played was a grouper kind of doing their mating call. And in there, they said, hey, Clay, you know, maybe you got to talk about groupers. So we're going to talk about groupers today in honor of, of the Twisted 10 podcast. So it should be a lot of fun. So I pulled up some fact sheet on groupers. Did you do any grouper homework? I did. And they're really awesome. And I learned some interesting things about their reproduction that had me super fascinated. Well, why don't you start off then with talk... Let's start off by talking about grouper reproduction. I'm going to let you do it, but I got a little intro music. If you're going to talk about sex, we have some sex music. <laughs> that's how we roll here at the fish. Here. Spawn. Oh, yeah. That's, that's perfect. I love All right. That. Let's talk awesome. about grouper sex to begin with, and then I'll run down some grouper facts and we'll be done with this. Awesome. Well, so of course, just on my preliminary uh, searches and trying to then dig a little deeper, I was oddly fascinated that, of course, some of their mating um, rituals, as it were, have been documented during full moon events, which is really awesome. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I've had that, that happen. Of course. That's exactly what my husband said, (laughs) but that's a whole different topic. Um, Then that's that song you just played also sort of led me to think, you know, you and me, girl, we need more fish in the world. But something important about the grouper reproduction was the fact that the juveniles need mangroves to carry out their initial first few years of of life. A very specific so, habitat. You can have plenty of fish making more fish, but if you don't have that nursery habitat, then that can be a big problem. So that was super interesting too, was that they have shown that some of their recruitment problems are actually not necessarily due to a lack of, a total lack of, of, of reproductively active individuals. So that was that was quite interesting and sad at the same time because those mangroves, as most people know, are not doing very well, especially in in their native range. So well, we have lots of invasive humans around who are wrecking stuff for the fishes. It seems <gasps> humans wreck things for That's fish. Crazy, it's crazy. No. So for those who don't know, by the way, a Goliath grouper is what we're talking about too tonight. They are uh, their Latin name. I'm going to try this. Okay. Okay, go for uh, it. Epinephilus. <laughs> Epinephilus. Itajira. That's that's good. That's good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Calm down. Calm down. Okay, sorry. Uh, The the largest group in the Western Hemisphere can reach eight feet in length and weigh more than a thousand pounds. I've watched some YouTube videos of people catching these out of kayaks. Mm -hmm. It just seems bananas. So, so you're talking about reproduction, and mm -hmm. why don't we get into that with spawning habits? So. In your research, did you find out how many eggs a female can lay? 
Um, I, I actually didn't get into a lot of the specifics it. about uh, the the numbers of individuals they're capable of. I'm, sh- you know, a lot of that is a, is based on a a range anyway. Depending sure. on the size of the female, you can have a lot of variation in that. Sure. Well, they according to SportDiver.com, <laughs> a four point six foot long female caught at spawning aggregation had fifty seven million eggs in it. That's awesome. Now, interestingly, I think this is true with most fish, is of those millions of eggs, how many do you think reach adulthood in, in a perfect scenario? Adulthood or reproductive? Reproduction age, yeah. That's oh. A question. yeah. oh, shoot. This is true in most fish, by the way. Well, and of course, there is a differential between males and females on when they they get to their spawning age, but a 50, that's a, I would say a very small percentage, maybe less than 1%. Yeah. It's like two or three fish. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's way, way small. Yeah. If you're going back to like, you know, Darwin's theory of evolution, uh, one of the things he said was all animals have more offspring that can live to become adults. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you think about fish, I'm going to lay thousands and thousands of eggs because oh, most yeah, of those yeah. eggs and larvae are going to get eaten before they get to adults. So you have to lay a bunch so a couple of can get to be big fish. Otherwise, can you imagine if they all got to be giant groupers? We, <laughs> we get eaten by these things every day. They wouldn't be in trouble. No, they, well, we would be in trouble. Well, maybe. <laughs> now, well, I, I don't think I would underestimate the damaging potential of humans on a, on a population that is long-lived, though. No, it's and these do live a long time. Now, Goliath groupers, you said they, they spawn in do they spawn in the mangrove swamps? No, I don't think they actually spawn in the mangroves. I think that's just where the, the uh uh I, I'll, I'll have to go. I now I feel terrible because I really don't know for sure. Set I just know up. that 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 is where uh uh the the young ones do their business for the first couple years of life. So right, I don't both. know if they main they actually I would imagine they spawn in the coral reefs and then their juvenile or their young migrate into the mangroves for safety. But yeah, I don't it doesn't know, say so. on the website I'm reading. It says that they will spawn in giant groups of a hundred. Uh, I saw that yeah, part. Of a hundred. They'll, tra- they'll travel up to 100 miles to the spawning ground. So I bet they spawn near the mangroves. And then the small ones live in the mangroves um, for five or six years, and then they move to the coral reefs after that. I was having a hard time even finding how extensive their range is right now. All I was seeing was on the, the I guess, each side of Florida. But do they have a range still in the Gulf? Well, I, I have the information here. So according to the Florida Museum of Natural History, Goliath grouper are going to be found all throughout the, the Gulf Coast of Florida, right on through like Mexico, that whole Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. down around South America, and then up the uh, West Coast of the United States as well, up through Panama and California, and then even on the West Coast of Africa as well, all in the same oh. kind of temperate zone though. Okay, so then... I guess due to habitat requirements and a lot of other factors is what is really causing their their decline in numbers then, I would imagine. They're a, pro, pro, a, game spe- or a species that's prohibited to harvest. And f- they are on the, the NOAA species of concern list from 2006, a no-take species. But they're still commonly fished for, yeah. Well, but you can't harvest them. 
Well, I guess it depends on where you're located. This was in Florida. You're not allowed to to harvest them in Florida because the kid got in trouble like a week ago. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't even really take them out of the water for long in Florida. You have to, um, if you catch one, which it's not illegal to catch them, but if you catch them and they're small, you basically have enough time to get the hook out, maybe take a photograph before you have to release it. Then if it's a larger individual, it sounded like you're really supposed to just cut the line because they're not equipped to be taken out of the water like people think. Uh, you, they can't, they, you can inj- cause mortality, post-fishing post mortality by taking a fish up onto the deck of a boat just to get pictures or weigh it or measure it. And so that's why a kid got in trouble because I guess he took a young individual home and was taking pictures of it at home and was showing the photos on social media. And guess what? You're not supposed to take one home. No. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, the the problem too, with like catch and releasing a large fish like this, I I worry about the exhaustion of the fish, just Mm -hmm. them coming up and letting them go. I wonder what the recatch rate is. Like, do they, well, and I, I, well, I tried, I was interested in trying to see what the assessment had been on them, how, how they were determining that they were imperiled or vulnerable, at least. And it sounded like there was a couple of different efforts made to assess the stock there in Florida, but it's hard to extrapolate that out to a species that has a range that big. So the Florida you know, the state of Florida can make their assessment, but that doesn't necessarily translate to management regulations for like, I I don't know, even know how, how, how far these fish travel. Are you seeing the same individual in different areas of the Gulf? Do they stay in one locale where you can say this is a Florida sort of population or a but, you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of interesting things you can ask about that. Well, the weird thing about a grouper for me, too, is they look like a giant freshwater fish. Obviously, love crustaceans, too, like a bass would, you know, and, and not super, like, aggressive in terms of hunting things down. They kind of lie in wait and just suck in those, those big preys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... And it, you know what's funny, though, is that talking about these larger body fish actually does factor into one of the news stories I had for later that we'll get into. But, you know, when you talk about these larger animals and how they live life, it's a little bit different than if you're talking about a smaller species that does even similar things because oh, yeah. it's it's a different whole different ball game it's it's harder to be a large animal, but I did find some interesting here so this is from the Florida uh state fisheries website on their law. Here's the law on catch releasing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Must be immediately returned to the water free, alive, and unharmed. Okay. Uh, That's a hard, when you catch a fish to not harm it. That's how, how, yeah. How unharmed (laughs) is any fish? I mean, like it depends on what that, what your, what that's very subjective. It's very, now I've watched the YouTube videos, people catching these things. They're using these giant hooks. They're like the size of your arm and hold chickens for bait. Oh Uh, God. they're, They're not alive chickens. Uh, and, well, okay. and they're, but they're catching them on these giant like shards of metal. Uh, photographs can be taken, but only during the active act of release. Photographs or any other activities such as measuring the fish should not delay the fish in any way, the release in any way. Large goliath groupers should be left in the water during release. The skeletal structure of the large goliath cannot adequately support their weight out of the water. So you okay. will, will yeah. damage them. 
yep. the large Goliath is brought on board a vessel out of the water, it's likely to sustain some of the some form of internal injury, and therefore it will be considered harvested. So you were right about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, taking small Goliath groupers out of the water is not necessarily bad practice, uh, but they say do it with care. So they're very, mm. it's important. And they, did, yeah. they also have some population assessment here. Uh, they declined in the 1970s and 80s uh, due to increased fishing pressure from commercial and recreational fishing harvest. You can imagine the, the, how much food you get off of one of these giant fish. Especially because they do... I mean, even when they're not mating, they'll still, I believe, use similar resource types. So they will, they call them aggregations where it's like, you know, they, they have fish aggregators or things that you put in the water to attract fish. Well, they, they tend to go to structure. So they like things like uh, sunken boats and piers and things sure. like, like they'll go to, but they'll also use these coral reef areas. So even though they're not necessarily schooling fish, they'll hang out in big, giant groups. Yeah, they like their habitats. So groupers, I mean, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it'd be easy to target. Perfect. So that's our, our best effort at talking about groupers for the Twisted Ten. <laughs> Thank you, Amy, for helping with that bit. You're welcome. All right. So now we're going to do a quick talk about our Patreon page, uh, one of the ways... The only way currently we fund this podcast is through donations from listeners. And you can, list, you can donate on patreon.com slash fishnerds. We're hoping that everyone will give us $5 uh, a month. That's, that would get us a long way towards paying our bills here, buying better equipment. Uh, we've, we've upgraded our studio recently thanks to Patreon. The goal, the dream of the show would be someday where I can make a living making a podcast. I've been doing this for seven years. We don't make profit on this. I don't even make an effort to sell advertising. That's shame on me. But if you want to buy advertising, you can, you can give me a call. Um, but <laughs> we don't do a lot for advertising. But Patreon is where it's at. And everyone who donates at any level will get, it through their email, will get uh, ringtones from the Fish Nerds. So you can have our theme song or Fish in the News theme. And there's a new ringtone coming out after this episode. But I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, except for it's R-A-S. So... I won't well, tell you anything else. Uh, you know this. This is this is sort of inspiring. I really like the Patreon thing, and 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 it 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 makes me want to create something too. So I'm 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 inspired. So we got to make sure that we not only give props to Doc, mm-hmm. but that all, that she also knows that she help, is going to help inspire some more content for the Patreon. Oh, page, when you so. hear when you hear what we've got coming at the end of the show today, you're going to blow your brain up. I'm so, so excited. Good. <laughs> but anyway, thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. And by the way, if you give us $25 a month, I will say your name and your business at the end or during every episode of the show. So I need to talk about real quick about uh, my friend uh, Bethany Metz, Beth Metz, who does not have a business, but she gives us $25 a month. Uh, but if you do say her name in the mirror five times in the dark, in the middle of the night, she will haunt your dreams. So you get that. So Beth Metz, Beth Metz, Beth Metz. And then... <laughs> We have uh, Josh Lopes from LopesTax.com who also gives us $25 a month. He's been doing that for like five years. So we appreciate all that. Thank you so much, Patreon peoples. This uh, Fish Nerds episode, the podcast brought to you by Spreadem, a portable outrigger for trolling fish. It's a one-of-a-kind adjustable assistant 
for hooking up multiple lines to your boat without the hassle of crossing lines. Everyone that's used the prototype has loved it, and it's great for trolling fish in any boat with your friends. More lines equals more fish, and we encourage Fish Nerds listeners to support. This is a local main inventor who built this thing. He's been working on it for years, and even if you can't afford the $400 for the whole uh, piece of equipment, throwing him you know, five bucks, 20 bucks, every little bit helps out, helps to get his product to market. Go to kickstarter.com slash project slash spread them or just search for spread them, spread dash E-M on Kickstarter and you can help support them. We'll put links in the show notes. We you also want to, go ahead. You had, a, you had a conversation with him on a recent episode, didn't you? Michael Willett, friend of mine. I've known him for, since the Fish Nerd started. He's been inventing weird fishing products. He has a lot of cool stuff. Uh, but this one, I think he's really nailed it on. So excellent. Yeah, it's been really cool getting to know him and watching his progression. And I hope he uh, hope he gets to market because I I put in the full amount. I'm I'm all in on this. One. So now he's sponsoring us. So maybe I'm getting money back. I don't know. <laughs> all right, we're gonna get into a segment now called Lure Love. This is Tim Beat and the Crappy Hippies. A very special segment. Let me just pull up their theme music here real quick. Lure love, I can't get enough Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up Lure love, I can't ever stop Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle Welcome to another edition of Lure Love, where our motto is Why buy one lure when you can buy 103? I'm here with the infamous crappy hippie, John King. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Tim. Doing great. Hey, you remember last episode I mentioned I had bought some of those plain lure blanks and I was painting them with nail polish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I got some of the tips on how to paint them on YouTube. So now when I go to YouTube, recommended videos are for nail polish videos. (laughs) so so one of the videos that i saw it's this woman who owns two thousand bottles of nail polish and she has these shelves she has them all on a single wall in her house and it was just kind of amazing to see two thousand bottles but it's a little scary too not because she had so many bottles of nail polish but can you imagine how many lures she must have painted with those things (laughs) you just can't it, it, you can't count it on your fingers and toes, man. <laughs> no, you, you sure can't. <laughs> hey, when, right. we, when we get to the uh, the end of the episode today, I have a big surprise I'm going to share with you about how we rank the lures. Last week, you and I, I ranked the lures, and I have a, um, a new method for us this week. But tell us what we're going to talk about this week, John. We are going to talk about one of the oldest and one of the favoritedest Lures of all time, the spoon. Spoon's great. You can fish with it. You can eat with it. You can play it as a musical instrument. You can indeed. And I, I'll tell you what, let, uh, you know, we talk about eat with it. Okay. The, the, the Western civilization story is that some posh gentleman in England, and then later this folktale got transposed to New England, but was enjoying his lunch on the boat and dropped his teaspoon in the water. And as he washed it, go side to side down through the clear waters of a new England Lake. He saw a big pike sweep out and grab it. Or if it's being told in the Northwest, then it's a salmon or a trout, or if it's being told in about Minnesota, then it's a, a pike or, or down, you know, bass. But anyway, the, the legend is, is that somebody dropped an actual spoon in the water, saw a fish, take it. And, um, 
that's how it goes. But you got some history for us that I was shocked. And I know the listeners are going to love. Uh, let's let's have it, Professor. Well, you, you're right, John. The spoon is certainly nobody knows when it was really invented because it's a, a, a Nordic lure. You know, some people say they use shells as spoons. So it's it's probably, you know, thousands of years old. old. But um, the guy Julio Buell, um, he kind of reinvented the spoon in 1834. And the story goes he was eating his lunch in the boat one day. He drops the spoon overboard. And as he watched it sink to the bottom, a huge fish, like you said, came up and chomped it. And uh, so he went home and he borrowed a, a spoon from his mom and he, he cut off the handle of it. Um, so I, I thought it's kind of interesting. Last time we were talking about Bill Plummer stealing the the toy frog from his daughter. <laughs> and this time the guy steals the spoon from his mom. So I guess you got to be a thief to be able to invent these great lures. Oh, yeah, yeah. you got to be a thief to be in the lure business. That's for sure. Um Oh boy, we could expand on that all, all, all the rest of the segment, uh, copying people's ideas or getting ideas just by looking. Yeah. At, uh, you know. and, and he pet, he ended up patenting the, the spoon design that he had um, created. But I'll tell you what's super cool. You probably on television, you've seen those ads for those um, commemorative coins that they sell, like gold and silver coins. Like yeah, yeah, sure. About sure, an yeah. event or something. Well, this year in 2020, there's a company that minted a coin that's a, an exact replica of the Buell spoon. And it really? actually, it's a, a real coin, but it has a hole on the top where you can tie your line to and has a single hook on it. And the silver one weighs a half an ounce and the gold one weighs a tenth of an ounce. And on one side, it says legendary lures with a picture of uh, Julio Buell on it. On the other side, a picture of Queen Elizabeth II, which is kind of just kind of crazy. But it's funny because I'm watching this little promotional video to get you to buy these coins. And it shows a modern-day guy in a boat casting out and fishing. And the value of the silver lure is 100 bucks, but the gold lure is worth 350 bucks. So the question I have for you, John, is would you fish with a $350 lure? No. <laughs> no, we're not, not, not in this, the, the life I'm leading now. And I, even if I get to be the, you know... Uh, you know, flush with money. I don't see it because gosh, darn it, Tim, I'm just not meant to have nice things when it comes to fishing. I had, I had a buddy dredge up a ducket rod with a brand new loose reel on it. You know, he caught it out of the bottom of the lake and he doesn't fish with casting. He, so he gave it to me and yeah, it was less than a week. And one of my other friends dropped a battery on it and busted. I mean, I just, you know, I just yeah. got, and I, I've got to get stuff at a garage sale and stuff, but I couldn't, relax and enjoy fishing with a $350 lure. That's just, no, cool I would be do. scared to death that either I would break yeah. off or get snagged on something $350. So I got, I kind of got a kick out of that. I don't really know exactly how spoons work, like what the, what the physics behind it is. And I know, you know, they're concave on one side, they curve inward. So that kind of catches the water and it makes them wobble. Um, but when I read about it is, the, you know, as people design these and look at the shape and the thickness, the deeper the spoon, the wider the wobble, and the flatter the spoon, the less it wobbles. And then, they, But the thing I really didn't know is it said that the longer spoons wobble more than the short ones. You know, it all has to do with, um, you know, the water pressure and how when it wobbles one way, you know, it because of the shape, and it's vaguely boat-like, boat it wants to right itself. It wants to 
you know, but but the water, you know, because it's cupped, the water continuously pushes it. Now, I, I did know that, yeah, you know, you can buy deep cup blades and they will spin at a lot slower, slower speed. So if you're, especially for like making walleye rigs where you're going to slow, you know, you can have two or three spinners on the line or lake trout rig where you're trolling real slow, you know, people want a, a deeper cup. A big company like Daredevil, you know, they make all the, yeah, they make a big wide, you know, spoons all the way down to what's called a copycat, which is their skinny, you know, faster, you know, what, you know, a flutter spoon, you know, we, we, mm -hmm. a flutter spoon is, is wow. It carries that principle. You know, it's super thin, they're long and they're made to just, just, you know, wobble really quick. Some of the designs are kind of amazing where it almost looks like they're going to tip over. They, you Absolutely. know, it wobbles way up and back. And so you get that great action on them. The first lure I ever owned actually was, a, was this tiny spoon. It was one, um, you remember the Thomas spoons? They were, they Maybe. kind of had a little cutout at the, uh, the end, but it had a, like a rainbow trout pattern on it, just a, about an inch and a half. And um, my dad yeah, bought it for okay. me before opening day fishing. We had trout season in Massachusetts. And the funny thing is he got it at an auto supply store. Did they have um, Western Auto where you are? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Western Auto had like a fishing section. And I know yep. he got it there because it was across the street from his office. But what I didn't realize was Western Auto had made their own fishing gear under the, the brand name Revelation. And right. They, they did tackle boxes and stuff. And then I thought, well, it's no wonder they were making toolboxes. So they take the toolbox, change the inside of it, and they call it a you know a tackle box. So if you go look on eBay, you can find a lot of, a lot of that old Western Auto, the tackle boxes and uh, and everything like that. And that that Thomas spoon, they still sell that today. The exact same spoon, the way I got it as a kid. That's fantastic, and and that Western Auto tradition too also comes from the fact that before there were a lot of tackle stores and before machinery came along, the hardware store, the blacksmith, the, you know, that was where you got a lot of your fishing tackle. You know, people take hooks and line and all that stuff for granted now, but in the old days, you used to have to have a guy make your hooks for you a lot of times, just like you used to have to take your silk line after you got done fishing and string it up back and forth on the clothesline and dry it out before you, you know, if you left it on the reel, it, it would spoil and they right, had cotton line. Right. And, it was way more labor intensive, but the, the hardware store was where to get tackle. And hell, I, I got some Revelation braid right here on the on the desk back here that Kathy picked for me out of some garage sale or something. That's pretty cool. What was the first lure that you remember ever owning as a kid? Oh, gosh, that I remember owning because I know I had had jigs right off. Uh, caught my first copy when I was three. Caught them on a jig and bobber. So, But I suppose... Without a doubt, my first lure that I remember was a hula popper because it was froggy and it was cool looking. And then I, my next one was a rubber crawdad, kind of like when they remember that old those old creepy crawler sets you could get where you poured the plastic in uh, in the mold and heated it up and. Those great old toys where you really got injured a lot as a kid, burned. And I so love those. We used to make those, and you can make the worms and the skeletons. Yeah, and, yeah, and all the stuff. Yeah, we yeah. lived by that. And the funny thing is, when we made those, that was before you could even buy rubber worms. I don't remember buying plastic worms for you know for fishing, but you could make them, and they're the little bugs and all the things like sure, that. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I stuck a, a hook in more than a few of those, but. Now, John, you had mentioned the the uh, the daredevil spoon. Um, 
started in 1906 when Lou Eppinger, who's fishing in the Ontario wilderness, I think he was fishing alone, and he hammered out a two-ounce spoon uh, that was um, thinner in the middle and thicker toward the edges um, when it wobbled. It almost turned over, but not quite. So he was kind of developing these things for himself. And uh, six years later, he turned the prototype into a finished lure that he called the Osprey. It wasn't called the Daredevil. Um, and the company's website says that in uh, 1918, Lou's nephew, Ed, came to work with his uncle, and they changed the name to Daredevil, naming it after the Devil Dogs, the name given by the Germans to the 4th Marine Brigade, which successfully penetrated and captured the Germans in the Battle of Blue Woods in 1918. And the, the Allies called those Marines Daredevils. So he thought that was a cool name. So that's how we use it. But now you have a story about the the, the daredevil and uh, and your dad filming some lodges. Tell us about that. Oh, uh, well, when I was a kid, uh, in my teens, my dad got hired to shoot a film, a promo film for a lodge up on God's Lake in Manitoba. And his friend, Dusty Ensley, who is, was the son of a local fishing legend that had a TV show, uh, Harold Ensley, ask anybody our age from around Kansas City, and they'll just be like, oh, yeah. So he was up there to shoot some film for Eppinger. And um, so Ed Eppinger was there with his grandson. We spent a lot of time um, going around and, and fishing in different situations and, and using the spoons. There was a guy that wrote for, uh, he was a freelance outdoor writer. He was syndicated into several papers. He was primarily wrote for a paper out of Michigan. He was an old, old friend of Ed Eppinger's. And oh my God, it was so much fun. His name is Al Spires. And he loved sticking it to Ed Eppinger <laughs> <laughs> and would, you know, use anything but a daredevil spoon. You know, it's like <laughs> we're on camera. Everybody needs to be using, you know, daredevils and so on. Al would be over there just like, no, no, no. <laughs> Johnny, give me, give me one of those jigs. Give me one of those Reaper jigs. Give me one of those Ensley jigs that you were catching them on yesterday. You know, but yeah, but it, it was all right. It was a decent guy. And, and and the cool thing about Eppinger is that at the end of everywhere he would go and 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 vacation, at the end of his trip, he would take this humongous tackle box that he carried and throw it open, and everybody would come and running and get to take all the lures out of it at the end of the trip. So, oh, that is great. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I got there a little late, got in line behind behind Dusty, because which bummed me out because of course I wanted the little bitty. I, I I love their little mini devils and their little midget devils or whatever they call them, the little bitty spoons. But a couple of trout guys got in ahead of me and got most of those. But still, I still have a couple of those spoons. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting to me. That's one of the amazing things, John, about that, um, the Daredevil as a lure. Um, Eppinger still, you know, they're still selling them today. They have 16,000 different, you know, size, shape, color combinations. Yeah. One of the things about the Daredevil that is, I don't, I haven't seen this in any other lure. You can buy that same lure in from one thirty second ounce to three and a quarter ounces and everything in between. And you don't see too many lure types where you can get an itty bitty thing and also just a big honking pike lure. Uh, so interesting that what I thought was a folk legend about the, the the spoon is 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 the actual story, at least for the modern spoon. But one reason we tell people to go ahead and spend the money in the spoon business in, when you're buying spoons is spend the money on a Daredevil, spend the money on a on a Dixie Jet, spend the money on a Red Eye, spend the money on a little Clio, a reputable brand, because 
What does a cheap spoon do to you? Spins. And you don't, you want wobble. You don't want spin. You want it to go, you know, all the way to one side and then want to right itself and go the other way. And that's why you can tell that they're the same thickness in the middle as they are on the edges. They've just been stamped out of metal in some factory on a press and they don't, they'll just, they just go round and round and round. I mean, and then it, it, it twists your line, twist and your, your line, like yeah. crazy. I, you make that mistake as a kid and you tie a, even a wobbling spoon directly to your line. You're going to get some twist. So you got to put that swivel on there. Um, but it, it doesn't even help to have a swivel. If you've got a bad spoon, not only are you not catching fish. Yeah. It twists the heck out of your line. And then you're having all these problems. You can get by with a cheap jig. You can't get by with a cheap spoon. Buy a good yeah. one. Buy a good one. Absolutely. Now, when, when I was growing up and still, I think my favorite spoon is probably the Johnson Silver Minnow. Like the Daredevil, it's um, thicker in the middle, thinner at the edges, and has about a 35-degree wobble, which is pretty significant. The funny thing is, um, Johnson's first name was Lewis. So we got Lewis Johnson, and we got Lou Eppinger. So I think if your name is Lou, is your middle name Lou, John? <laughs> no, but maybe I have to change that. But then again, I'm not a spoon guy so much, but yeah. <laughs> But I, I love that silver minnow. When I was growing up, we would buy the uh, the Uncle Josh pork rind strips and it, put them on as a trailer. Yes. Heck yes. Which were, were great, unless you let them dry. And then you couldn't you had to use a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, for you young folks, you're like, what the hell is a pork rind? Uh, before plastics, we had pork rinds and uh, everybody's uh, tackle box had that in in uh, invariably would have that stain across the bottom from their pork rinds <laughs> yeah. coming open and and the, the uh salt the ones that were packed in salt and aroma but yeah that that salt would eat that eat, eat away at that lid and then you're out there trying to open it with a pair of channel locks <laughs> shattering the jar yeah they were not convenient uh but wow what a great thing to trail on a johnson spoon and you know what a great idea the idea of a you know we talked about topwater frogs last time who who comes up with a topwater spoon i mean how fantastic and how weedless and how completely dominating was the johnson silver minnow in the late 60s early 70s just the other day i was online and i hadn't seen this spoon before but this is a new product that just came out a relatively new it's from northland fishing tackle and it's called a glow shot fire belly spoon and yeah, you sent me some on that pretty cool yeah it's it is cool they say it's good for crappy and wally but um the spoon has a little place where you put an exposed light stick, like the things you see at concerts. Right, right. <laughs> and you can get red, green chartreuse, lasts for eight hours. So if, it, if you're in darker stained water, it's actually glowing. And I thought, what a cool concept. But what you'll love is it's um, lead-free zinc alloy. Yes, and, and zinc is a great material for spoons, and you're seeing it coming along. Alternative materials. I mean, spoons are one of our lead-free allies out there. They're all out of brass or steel or, you know, um, zinc or something environmentally um, friendly. And uh, so, you know, this is the thing about alternative materials is that, you know, as anglers, we're not afraid of alternative materials. Not every every good lure is, is lead-based or every metal lure lead-based. The spoons have, have been lead-free since the guy dropped the spoon in the water right so, well lead wouldn't work as well because you needed to keep that exact shape and you, you know, right you don't and lead's it off of rocks with with lead and everything so you had the brass and the really nice metals but this whole concept of putting a light stick in there 
I thought that is very clever. And we have a lot of muddy rivers around here. So I may pick some of those up and I'll let you know how they work. But it's interesting. The, the only the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, take them out. Let's hear how you do. I, I'm interested. And I know ice fishers have used, been using a lot of phosphorescent and glow products and so on. The glow paint is big and stuff because, of course, ice fishing when there's snow all over the ice is, is, a, is a low light game. That's the great thing about spoons, John, is you can use a little tiny spoon and go catch brook trout in a creek. And then I've taken some big honking spoons and I go catch striped bass in the ocean. And it's, a, it's, the, you know, it's pretty much that same design. The things don't break. I'll tell you that. It's fantastic all around lure and, and it will never die out because it, it is, it's simple. It makes sense. Fish love it. And, and uh, yeah, my, my biggest fish on rod and reel was oh, somewhere between 18 and 20 pound pike that I caught on a, a red eye spoon and, you know, instant fan, baby, instant fan. <laughs> you know. So John, I know you love science as much as I do. So this week, rather than have us do the lure ratings, you and I rate the lures, you're not going to believe what I've done. I have created the Lurematic computer system. It's a computer that has been listening to everything we've said during this podcast as we re recorded it, and then it will automatically calculate and rate the lure just based on our comments. Man, you are not just a genius. You're a super genius. Let's, let's, let's have it. Let's have it. I'm, I'm ready. Let me turn it on and we'll give this thing a try. All right. Welcome to the Luramatic Computer System. I have been listening to your conversation. Please wait while I evaluate the spoon fishing lure. Tim Beat, Crappy Hippie, Spoon Lure, Nordic Origin, Concave Shape, Julio Buell, Dinner Spoon, Huge Fish, Daredevil Spoon, Lou Eppinger, Johnson Silver Minnow, Weedless, Louie Johnson. Too many guys named Lou. Glow shot fire belly spoon, glow stick. Calculating, calculating. The Luramatic computer system rating for the spoon fishing lure is a perfect 11 out of 11. You can't argue with science, can you, Tim? I, I don't think you can. And it gave it a perfect 11, just like the frog. So the spoon is definitely a good lure. I'm not going to argue with that computer. You can't argue with the computer. You can't argue with the history of fishing. You can't argue with the fish you're going to catch tomorrow. Get some spoons in your tackle box. Wow, so what a great report. That was awful fun. I got uh, uh, what I thought was a folktale debunked. It's actually the real story um, on the spoons and uh, got to relive some memories. But that's that's what spoons are about, Tim. They're, they're as old as fishing itself. Um, they're a great lure. Uh, it's a must for every person's tackle box. I had a ball talking with you tonight about spoons. All right, that's good. We'll see you all next time on Lure Love. On Lure Love, see you next time. Can't I make you see? Why buy five lures when you can buy a hundred and three? All right, that was fun. That was Lure Love. They talked about spoons today. What do you think about that, Amy? Well... So I know that I've said this before, but one of my dirty secrets is that I'm not very good at fishing. That's my but, secret too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess it's an open secret then of mine, but see, that's the spoons are, are something I can wrap my head around actually. And it's one thing that I, it's, it's a, it's a staple in Oklahoma bass fishing. 
Um, it's a staple in, it was always a part of my dad and granddad's tackle boxes. And when they would get sick of trying other things, they would go for the spoon. Um, when it was hot and nasty and we weren't getting a bite, go for the spoon. So, you know, I mean, I, even I can throw a spoon. Awesome. Uh, we do a lot of spoon fishing too. And I'm not going to put any more into your ears tonight though, because I think John and uh, Tim covered I think they did. They did awesome. Yeah. But we have to get into the news. Everybody loves the fish in the news. Amy, you brought a story for us. Well, I brought a couple of stories, but one of the ones that I didn't know if we had talked about before was a pretty sad story that Never mind, don't do it. Okay, well, I mean, it leeways into something good. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Okay, so we had an extinction event this year that was just sort of a, 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 a turning point, I think, for maybe a lot of people, maybe not, I don't know, but the Chinese paddlefish was officially dis- declared extinct in the wild. Finally. Um, functionally extinct, which oh. is terrible. <laughs> um, but at the same time, in Oklahoma, we set not just one, but like two world records for the American paddlefish, like back to back in one lake in Keystone Lake. And uh, so that was super interesting. I don't know if people heard about that. It's one of our huge fisheries in Oklahoma is paddlefish. A lot of places where, well, a, a lot of places where there still have native range, you can't really fish for them. So because they're planktivores, of course, you have to snag for them and you have to target them when they're running up some rivers to spawn. Usually that's when you're targeting them. So to have a a world record, it was 151 pounds, 14.4 ounces. And that was in July of this year. Yes. From snagging. That sounds terrible. Like whatever. (laughs) I don't understand yeah i i it's really hard um the first and only paddlefish that i've ever caught on a line was 29 pounds sorry about that i can't hear you all of a sudden but uh it was a really hard fight uh and i had not done a lot of snagging and had some guys that knew how to put me on the fish and i was already there for work but had taken some time to actually go fishing specifically to harvest a fish it was like you know what i've done this so long i'm going to take some fish home and 29 pounds was really really difficult it wore me out it wore me out so so you caught a 29 pound paddlefish mm-hmm. and you caught it through snagging yes and tell me about what what, the, what snagging a paddlefish like entails how does one how does one do this you just have a big uh, a big uh weighted hook it has to be barbless hook but you essentially are just dragging it through the current of a flowing river over and over again across the river as they're going up the river then the theory is that you know you'll eventually just run into one and so basically that's what happened i finally well there's a little spot it was actually an eddy underneath the bridge where there was a scour and they had stacked up there because they were able to get some refuge from the current. And so there was a bunch of them that were stacked up there. And these guys had just been pulling them out all day long. And, of course, working for the state at the time. 
and uh you know doing a lot of drives up and down the river all day um those guys had seen us they'd seen me they we'd talked to them multiple times we'd had multiple people in their party that had harvested fish during the day and that's part of the whole thing is the state will take your fish and process it for you so you get handed a bag of fillets that's not bad oh yeah if but you know you have to surrender the fish and all the data you don't get to take anything with you and of course the state is using the eggs and they're turning them into roe for caviar and they're selling them as caviar to help fund paddlefish research that's fascinating so they're that's that's fascinating i had no idea Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't. Okay. See, I take this for granted because I grew my my family grew up on the fishery, one of the main fisheries for paddlefish. So we've been snagging paddlefish. I mean, there's pictures of my granddad and grandmother snagging paddlefish from like the 1980s. Oh, you said that. And wrong. you're supposed to say we've been snagging paddlefish for nigh on to 30 years okay, down here in Oklahoma. Well, it it may have blows, been hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, these because these fish have been a huge resource for these people for a long time. It's just kind of, I guess, one of the well, more well-kept secrets. But we have people that come from a lot of states in the Midwest to, to snag for paddlefish. And then, of course, they, they've got a big red line. They're a cartilaginous fish, kind of like a shark. Mm-hmm. And so the big red line that runs down the middle is not really edible. So it's, it takes a little bit of finesse to clean one right so you can cook it up. But when you, when you fry it up, I had I had little nieces that were super picky. They were the chicken nugget clan, you know, the chicken nuggets and french fries. That's all they would eat. Chicken nuggets, french fries, and macaroni and cheese, right? Well, I plopped this fried paddlefish in front of them, not telling them what it was, and just let them start eating it. They thought it was chicken nuggets. I went with it, and that was it. They, well, they, they ate it all up. I well, mean, back it's, up a it's minute. fantastic. You skipped something, important detail. You said you fried Uh-oh. them. Can you be more specific? How did you fry these up? What did you do to it? Um, uh, basically, we just use a, a cornbread, uh, or I'm sorry, a, a, a cornmeal and flour mix, and usually soak the fillets in milk first. Cut them up, cube them, uh, put them in milk for a while, soak them. While they're soaking in the milk, you get all your, your breading ready, your egg soak, or I'm sorry, your egg wash. And usually would do the the milk milk bath, and then you dredge it in your cornmeal and ba- uh, cornmeal and flour mix your batter. Then you put in an egg, and I would do another uh, batter. So two times nice, two nice two, big two times crunchy. Yes, shell on the outside. So yeah, just a, a double double batter, and then toss it into some peanut oil is what I like to use. And fry it up just like you would catfish, pretty much. It sounds sounds delightful. I, I, it's I real still flaky. I, yeah, sounds great. Sounds like delicious fish. And, <laughs> and they, they, so we're producing world records here in Oklahoma. So well that's done. a that's a really fantastic, I feel, accomplishment of our guys that are out there doing this work for the state and uh, managing those populations of paddlefish effectively with a lot of harvest. So they have made some harvest regulations of how much people can take when different times of the year are closed for spawning events or different days are closed, which is good. But there's still a lot of harvest being done and we're catching world records. So it's a fantastic fishery. If you ever come to Oklahoma, I can take you to where we need to go. We'll go snag for some paddlefish. I'm in. 
it, it, they'll give you a little tag, which is like a souvenir because they track all of the fillets because it's a, it's a certified, you know, like FDA certified kitchen that's right there on site where they process everything. So you get a little tag that basically tracks your fillets all the way through the process. It's kind of like a little souvenir too. So you fry up the fillets, you get to keep a little tag. It's, it's fun. It's a good that's, time. That's amazing. That sounds really great. Uh, if I ever get to travel again, <laughs> Oklahoma will be on I know. my list. <laughs> okay, right. When COVID is over. Well, and, and it's, it kind of leads me into one of the other big stories that I found that was super interesting that I thought Doc would be interested in too was about large bodied fishes in the ocean since we were doing a saltwater episode. I was like, okay. I'm going to find some saltwater stories that would fit in here. And there is a new study out that shows that large bodied fishes like swordfish, sharks, tuna, I'm sure groupers would fall into this category, are actually large sinks of carbon. There, there are ways that carbon is sequestered and taken to the seafloor and then kept in check. It's called blue carbon, something that I didn't even think about as a way that the, the earth naturally recycles carbon because some of these animals they can show can be up to 15% carbon. And they can take that carbon to the seafloor and sequester it for thousands, if not millions of years. All right, well, slow because, down a little bit. So, so where, where are they getting the carbon? Well, just because they are, any organic life form is going to be composed of some percentage of carbon. Right, if you so, ever watch Star Trek, they, they say, oh, there's carbon-based life forms. Carbon-based life forms. Yeah. So different levels, of course, of critters are composed of different percentages of carbon. And so some of these larger bodied organisms can actually be a quite substantial load of carbon that's being uh, developed. You know, if you think about a tree... A tree is essentially a giant carbon sink. It is made of carbon. I mean, um, plants, of course, are more carbon than uh, some of your more uh, higher life forms. But still, 15% is a lot. If you're talking about an animal that's hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, that can be a a pretty substantial amount. Are they removing carbon from the environment into their bodies? And then when they're sequestering it, when they're sequestering it, what does that mean? It makes it it makes it to where it's not being recycled back into the system so, immediately. So it like being, they've they've got it in their body, and you say it can send it down the seafloor for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So does that mean they die and it goes down with them to the bottom, or right, are they exactly. or are they crapping it out? No, they sink <laughs> when they die. They uh-huh. well, I mean that might be a certain percentage of their total lifetime accumulation of carbon input into the ocean. I would imagine as well, I because bet so. any, but but the majority of what they're referring to in the article is when they die. So yeah, of course, if you got something that's hundreds of thousands of pounds of, or hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, it's going to sink pretty fast in the ocean. So they they hit the bottom pretty fast and. And the carbon that goes down with them stays there for a long period of time instead of where they were, they were showing in the same study that if those same animals were harvested for food in commercial fishing vessels or, or, or however they're actually obtained, 
that that carbon only takes a couple of weeks to get back into the cycle, you know, back into the atmosphere. So so for uh, those who don't know, what's the advantage to sequestering this carbon? This is all about the global warming issue, the greenhouse gas issue, the carbon dioxide issue with our atmosphere and the accumulating carbon dioxide that is causing a lot of the instability in, in worldwide climate. I mean, in the, in the easiest terms. I think you got it. Cool. Well, that was Fish <laughs> in the News. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Fish in the News. Everybody loves All right, so we have time for one more bit, and this is really cool. This is, you're going to love this, and I'm glad you're here for this, because Doc Martin wanted to come on the show this week, but I don't want her on for this bit, because she is a huge fan of music. I don't know if people know this about Doc Martin. She loves writing parody songs. She loves popular music and old music and all kinds of music, uh, but do you know this song, WAP? Oh, absolutely. I, I, and this is something, this is why Doc and I are a lot alike is because I'm a huge fan of music too. And especially the new, I mean, a new music. I don't know how to say it enough, but yes, we are huge, <laughs> huge music fans, constantly digesting everything that's new. If it is meme worthy, if it gets into social media, if it gets into the, the, the culture at the moment, we are on top of it. So I'm really excited about this. One. All right. Well, so she took that and she, you know, as much as she likes the, the theme of WAP and its deep meaning and all, all that, um, she, she's a science person, so she rewrote it R-A-S, Real Ass Science. And this is her version of Real Ass Science. And this is a debut here, by the way. This is the first time anyone's hearing this. I am so honored. You're the first person to hear it. So here we go. Microscopes in this house, microscopes in this house, microscopes in this house, microscopes in this house. I said certified geek. Seven days a week. Real ass science make your conspiracy game weak. Yeah, 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 yeah. You fucking with some real ass science. Read a textbook, not a blog for this real ass science. Get me peer review. You gotta for this real ass science. Boat up, pescator, catch a fish. Ichthyologist, find its niche. Put this science right in your face. Bait your hook like Hemingway, bitch. Nautical knot, changing the tide. Do a dissection. What's inside? Sing up a trout, acting after your GIs. The science is wet. Come take a dive. Light it up. An analysis. It's DNA. Electrophoresis. I want you to mark that band of gel. Using UV fluorescence. Make me read. Share my dream. Tell the public. Pro-vaccine. I don't lie. No falsities. I'll tell you how I got this PhD. Psychology, ecology, geophysiology. Learn about it all and understand the world around me. Tell them facts. Never bullshit. Never go all pseudoscience. I shut that down all for a spot. Nonsense quackery. Talk your shit. Think your quick. Act like a doodle. You confirm by is. You really ain't never gonna change your science scene. He done and Kruger legit. What a shame. Now get your boots and lab coat for this real ass science. He got a grant just for studying this real ass science. Paid my tuition to recruit me for this real ass science. Now make it rain if you wanna see some real ass science. Look, this here reptile slither. It'll fast to get warmer. The venom's way fiercer. Dry like this builder. Not a guard snake. I see a king cobra with occipitals. It's a carnivore. She got to study that's where i'm headed science are one gotta respect it she got a lab well, i'm trying to join it specific epithet i got to name it don't want to quit i want to know i want to search i 
I want to grow. I want to elucidate that knowledge and change the world that we all know. Analysis fire, low season, low peas. It's going in R, coming with validity. I explain that trend and the stats support me. I publish this work, got my third degree. Your Honor, I'm a geek bitch. Quantum physics, switch my frame plank. Einstein relations, equivalency, mass, but it's like speed and wave function state. It's Schrodinger's equation. In food chain, I'm the one who'll eat you. Herbivore eat grass, some say bottom feeder. Big D stands for big Daphne, a trophic cascade before the prey eats you. If it free reign, then it can't claim. You can't hurt my feelings. It's not in vain. If they stop me and ask why do it when a science shit, it ain't for the fame. Ah. Yeah. 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 You fucking with some real ass science. Read a textbook, not a blog for this real ass science. Get me peer review. You gotta for this real ass science. Now from the top, make it drop. That's some real ass science. Now read a textbook, not a blog. That's some real ass science. I'm talking ras, ras, ras. That's some real ass science. Publication in plus one. That's some real ass science. Huh. Microscopes in the south. 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 You get it. <laughs> oh my God, that needs to be on YouTube. That oh, needs coming. to be on YouTube, right? Oh my gosh, I I cannot wait. That is fantastic. I am yeah. literally crying. I'm a. I, uh, the big Daphnia, I mean, <laughs> come on. I come on. It's That's so good. Not and, fair. Uh, so Doc it's Martin's so working, good. She's working currently on a video to accompany uh, yes! to accompany that. Yes! So that'll be coming out very, very soon. And we can't uh, thank Doc Martin enough for the work she does. It's, to, it's a I need to tell her that uh, if she doesn't already have uh, people lined up for videography, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, we're, we, we could take a team up there if we need to. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. We gotta well, make got to make this happen. <laughs> I know that's, uh, that was awesome. That, yeah. That's, so awesome. You see why I saved that and didn't tell you what it was until you got to hear it with me. So. <laughs> oh my God, I am crying. Oh, that is so awesome. She's brilliant. All right. So, it's, yeah. Yeah. That's so that wraps up the show. We're, really good. We're out of time. And Amy, there's a little script in front of you. I don't know if you have your notes in front of you. But, I do. Yeah. So, bring the show to a close. All right. Well, you have wasted another hour hanging out with a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Special thanks to the Twisted Ten podcast, the crappy hippie Tim Beat, big, actually, holy hell, Doc Martin, what was that? Awesome. (laughs) And a big thanks to the Pond Lady. Thank you, Amy, for coming on tonight. We appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Clay, for having me on. And as the motto of the fish nerds goes... Spawn early and often. Never trust a stranger. I can't do it. I did it wrong. I've done this 200 times. So many times. Yeah. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and. (laughs) Swim against the current every chance you get. Yeah. Oh, I I forgot to thank uh, our music people tonight because we have all this original music. The show is full of original music. I don't know if you paid attention. Really? well, no, that music was fantastic. Everything I really on the like show is original lot. right now. So we have to thank oh my gosh. our musician friends there. Diane's Bath Sauce for our news theme. Wally Pleasant for our opening theme. Tim Beat's daughter from the Laura Love Music. I don't know her name. She hasn't, hasn't told me her name yet, so I can't think her by that name, but we awesome. appreciate it. And then we have a secret uh, listener who gave us the um, sexy fish music that he wrote. He <laughs> does not want his name shared. Uh, oh. So. <laughs> Can't he is very that makes me want to know even more? Uh, I, 
I said it on one show, and then he called me after. Says, "I don't want my name out there." So. Oh no! Okay. Yeah. So that's the show. You did it. You made a podcast. Congratulations. Podcast. It's a podcast. Just for the hell of it. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. <laughs> Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> uh, well done.